0: and welcome to the Happy Rant Podcast. I am your host, Barnabas Piper, not Ted Cluck. Ted is, what did he say? Where did he say he was? The Northwoods of, of Michigan? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't recollect. I think, I think that's what he said. I think he's speaking at a camp up there, which uh, I think it's a thing he does every year, and it's kind of a highlight for him and the family, especially because oh, they used right. to live yeah. in Michigan. So that's Ted is off doing doing ministerial things, and we're just here on the microphones, here with Ronnie Martin, as usual. And uh, today, we were going to do something that we can only do because Ted is not here, so we're taking mm-hmm. advantage of his absence. And we're we're just going to revel in being men of the cloth for the next, mm-hmm. I don't know, 30, 40, 80 minutes, <laughs> see where this thing goes. You never know. Pastors tend to be long-winded, so we'll see what happens. But no, before, I yeah, I mean... I know you preach for like sixty minutes because you're very reformed. Um, <laughs> we try to keep it under forty at Emmanuel because we like people. Um, under thirty always feels like a success to me. To be <laughs> so. I you know I think we shoot for thirty with the understanding that like thirty to thirty five is okay. Yeah, you uh, shoot at least for that's 30, that's how I take forty
1: it. and yeah. it's success for sure.
0: Yeah, nobody falls asleep. Not too many people anyway. Uh, before we get into all that, though, we do have we have a new sponsor. It's it's really more of a new partner, new relationship, if you will, because this is this is not going to be a one and done kind of thing. This isn't a, a one episode stand, if you will. Our sponsor is Visual Theology. You guys actually talked about it a little bit last week. Kind of teed it up. Some of the cool stuff that they sent us. They're very creative. Wheaties boxes. Mine is actually mm-hmm. on my nightstand. Uh, so the first thing I see when I walk into my room is my face on a Wheaties box, which... Wow, we probably should unpack that at some point. Well, I mean, yeah. it. speaking of unpacking it, all this, the tchotchkes <laughs> they sent in the box were amazing. I got... I know, what did you get? I got a, uh, one of those Jesus Fish car stickers. I got a WWJD bracelet. Um, I got a WOW Worship 1996 CD still in its original wow. wrapping. So Wow, indeed. Yes. Yeah, they they went deep cut on this based on our deep love of Christian crap. Um, yeah, I haven't opened
1: mine yet, so I'm imagining. Really? Oh, well, you have you have yeah. way
0: more self control than I do. Yeah, like, I'm I not, immediately I'm was like before. dumping the flakes and trying to get in there, just like I did You know, to get the prizes out of the cereal when I was.
1: Three. I, I don't. I've just I ignored the contents of your two books ago, and just I'm waiting. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not quite the curious Christian with the weedy box. So.
0: Well, you know. You, Sometimes sometimes waiting makes makes it you know the payoff better. That's what they say about a lot of things like marriage, etc. Um but Christian crap is not at all how we would describe visual theology. So listeners for a, a kind of a, an overview of what they do. This is they essentially take the Bible and put it into various different graphics to help it become more understandable. So a really good example, there's the story of Gideon and how 300 men God called 300 to go up against uh 130,000 people. So they have visualizations of this in their books, for example. So you can kind of see what is this what does this look like and how clear it is that only God could have won that victory because 300 versus 130,000 when you look at the actual picture of it is is bonkers. So they have multiple different books that are they're kind of they're kind of square, coffee table, workbook mm-hmm. size types of things. Really well laid out, super well designed to help you understand scripture. To to give visualizations, they have curriculum for this as well. To again, to kind of walk through the understanding of scripture. So, we encourage you to check them out. Go to visualtheology.church/happy. So, visualtheology.church/happy. We'll put this in the show notes and they actually have the coupon code there so you don't need to remember this but the coupon code is happy rant at checkout and you get 20% off of any purchase so whether you do books, posters, shirts and by the way their shirts are really well designed too and comfortable they're not uh, they're not sort of the, the the Christian Lords gym type of junk mm-hmm. shirts so uh, 20% off using the code happy rant again the url is visualtheology.church/happy check them out uh, we'll, we'll lay out more details in coming weeks. They have memberships, which offer awesome discounts and ongoing access to stuff, um, that you, the youth pastors could use it. Pastors could use it. Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, whatever it is. So go check them out today. We, uh, we're pretty excited about this and not just cause they sent us awesome gifts, but because, uh, the, the resources are pretty excellent themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm, I think I'm probably actually going to use it, um, with some, with my kids, uh, as we, you know, as we do some of our Bible reading, be like, "Hey, this is what that looks like when when the Bible talks about a battle with this army versus that army, or this number of promises in Scripture, or whatever it is." It just kind of helps create, you know, kind of a, a crystal clear reality of those things. So we're yeah. excited to work with visual theology.
1: Yeah, no, I man, let me just uh, let me co-sign off that one and just say, it's always great when our industry and our circle delivers a product that is like up to that that like rises to its creative artistic potential and yes and that's what this does and so like we're all about it we're all behind it and it's just an amazing resource for sure
0: it's a sad state of things when you when you're excited to find something that's not embarrassing to like to give away to be like hey this is really good but they they have firmly landed in the not embarrassing christian resource category because they're not trying to be trendy they're trying to be Really clear and helpful. And their design is just really good too. It's, it's.
1: Yeah. And I think, no, that's spot on. And I think, you know, I mean, to, to not, to not got, go down a tired path. I mean, we're seeing more and more and more of that than ever now. I mean, so there is a return to, you know, um, Christian art being something reflective of, you know, the savior that it's, that it's trying to, uh, to reflect, you know, um, and I, and I think we're seeing that more and more now. I think we can be pretty optimistic about that too, you know.
0: I agree, and we actually covered some of that in our chapter on Christian fiction in the forthcoming Happy Rant book that we just submitted a manuscript for this past week. So uh, let's go ahead and promote ourselves a little bit, too, while we're at it. Absolutely. Let's rejoice in that, because um, as anybody that's ever
1: written anything, whether it's an article, a book, or anything— can attest to, um, writing is writing can have its moments of joy, but ultimately, at least for me, I'll speak for myself. The most joyful part of writing is when I can click send
0: and the thing is complete, you know? So do you, you don't actually like the process of writing or is it kind of up and down?
1: I think it goes up and down, um, to be fair. I There is nothing that gets me more excited about completion, so that's always going to be the case. But I will say this. Um, we had to come up with a bit of a formula. When you're writing a book with three people, that's not typical. So we had to come up with a formula that would work. I think we did. And I will say that I thought it worked so well that it was the process actually, to me, was super enjoyable.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. It was it was the most fun, uh, like, big chunk of writing I've ever done. Granted, I mean, we were doing it in smaller sections. As it, was, it was kind of conversational. But, yeah, yeah it was – it didn't – at no point did it feel like drudgery, which I cannot yeah. say about anything else that I've written.
1: No, I mean, 100%. And I think – I mean, do you think, though, that part of that was that we didn't really impose a heavy deadline either on ourselves? We just kind of let it – we let it flow pretty naturally, i think
0: yeah there was there was no stress involved in terms of well, a the the publisher was very the generous with the amount of time they gave us, and then we wanted to get it done earlier, um but even that, it wasn't like we have to finish it by x date, so there was no there was nothing looming. it was all just sort of get in there, enjoy it, respond, be thoughtful, be humorous, i mean to the best of our ability, and see where it goes yeah totally i so yeah i think and i I think too that, uh, man, it's just going to be
1: reflective in the writing. There's like a, there's kind of a looseness. I I think the trick was like, how do we, how do we try to in some way, shape or form embody the looseness of the program, you know, onto the page? And I don't know, we we just kind of, I think, I think we were able to write how we, how we converse. And I think it's pretty close. So people can kind of look forward to that, I think.
0: Yeah, I I noticed that my, like, I had to fight against the tendency of kind of going into the, like, this is my book, you know, so I'm going (laughs) to write a chapter on this and be like, no, 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 this is a conversation. I'm only giving a paragraph response or two paragraphs so that Ronnie or Ted can can kind of return serve, if you will, because it, you know, my, like, I just have sort of a a muscle memory of writing that's like, oh, this is Mm. the topic, here's 3,000 words on it or something. Oh,
1: man. Yeah, totally. That's a really good point, too. Yeah. No. But didn't you think that that made it a little more enjoyable? So there were no rules. So when we're responding to each other, um, it was like, hey, I'm going to write what I'm just going to write what I feel. Sometimes it's going to be half a paragraph. Sometimes it's going to be half a page. There's just no rules.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The only rule that we ended up with was that Ted starts every chapter because he kind of he kind of hosted mm-hmm. the book like he hosts the show. He kind of kicks it off with a vignette or a reflection or a question is like hey what about this and then it just kind of went kind of went from there and i think
1: i think you know ted has a ted has a really he has a kind of a gift for i think introducing topics in a way that gives gives us a good you know stepping off point jumping off point you know and he does it on the program he did it really well in the book too so he, he sets things up there's always a lot of humor to it there's always a lot of you know, um, you know, there's there, there's the, the way in which Ted writes, if you've read Ted's writing, you know, he, he has a very like unique style. And so yeah. I think it was a way for us to kind of have that kind of a little bit of the quirkiness of the program um, and a little bit of the humor, but be able to drop down into some serious things at the same time. So he he like by him setting up the chapters, it gave us the availability to do any of those things for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. We're excited for it to, uh, I mean, I think, I don't think it's coming out until 20, but like middle of 2022 or something like that, but, um, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how the editing process goes, because I think we definitely kind of poked at a bunch of the, uh, the uncomfortable buttons of Christian publishing. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. But speaking of uh, speaking of writing things, you know, we wanted to talk about pastor stuff today. That was that's the whole that's that's the topic for today. Pastor stuff. What? Uh, how long have you been a senior pastor now? Like eight or ten years? Yeah, it's going on a decade. Yeah. Okay. So i I would love to hear you know we kind of talked about the the drudgery slash enjoyment of writing I'd love to hear the same reflections on sermon preparation from you, so where I'm coming from I'm an assistant pastor i don't uh, i don't I don't carry the bulk of the preaching responsibility. Our lead pastor's on vacation and then kind of a writing sabbatical this summer so um so I've filled in about half the time for him, yeah, and have loved it, but have also kind of you know it's been an eye opening experience to the like the 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 weekly cyclical amount of time and dedication and preparation that goes into sermon preparation and maybe because I'm not very good at it yet but kind of curious what your what you're growing into that your enjoyment your like where, where were you ten years ago versus where you are now those kinds of things
1: yeah I mean it's it's kind of one of the It's, it's interesting you bring that up, Pipe, because, you know, when you're hanging out with other dudes that, whether they preach every week or, you know, a few times a year or once a month, I mean, that, that topic always comes up because I think there is like a particular kind of grind to it. I don't, I've tried to like think through why the grind is so intense because, you know, everybody, everybody that does any job is, you know, essentially doing the same thing every week. You know, the expectation is, you know you wake up on monday and you you get back to doing the thing that needs to be accomplished for that particular week so in that sense preaching is is like you know other jobs that you would do but for some reason i think it's because of the nature of it we're you know proclaiming god's word there's a seriousness to it um i think it it ta- it, it puts a mental strain on on just sort of the, the the process that again i'm not saying other jobs don't contain that but i feel like the the accountability that we have you know, kind of mm-hmm. facing us for doing it and for being clear about what we're doing. I, I don't know. I think, especially in the early years, I think that can, that can tend to, to weigh heavy. But I think for me, man, what, you know, I, I think just kind of having grown with it and I was preaching. So even before I became a lead guy, I was, I was preparing sermons almost on a weekly basis for other things that I was doing. Um, so getting, getting to that place of finding your own voice, I think is the big one for me. Um, just what kind of preacher are you? What What are the things in the ways that God has gifted you are, are, are going to be most natural for you to sort of lean into and emphasize at the same time, not dismissing or ignoring other things that need to be brought to the table. And so I think my sermon prep has been formed by finding my own voice a little bit. And I guess for me, and again, this could be anathema. I don't know. I just, I don't enjoy sermon prep. It's, it's to me, it's the sloggiest part of what I do. I know a lot of guys, man, they can't wait just to sit down with their 96 commentaries and their 78 Bible translations. And they, they sort of, they have a geek out process with that, which I actually totally understand because I do that with other things, but sermon prep has always been really hard for me in, in that. Um so I think for me one of the things that that distilled down and finally started making sense to me was when I got to a place where I realized I really I want to say what the author's saying you know we do expository preaching um but I want to just hone it down to one main point and I I want to just emphasize one thing I'm really convinced that most people will take one or two things if, you know if got if you know by God's grace through any sermon so, um, to me, what I, what I really concentrate now on is, man, what is, what is that overarching point? And can I just, can I have everything else kind of feed into unpacking that, that one particular point and, and, and have it be something I bounce back to without it getting tedious? And so as soon as I kind of came to that. And maybe that's more of a formulaic thing. I don't know, but as soon as I kind of got down to that, and I was okay with that. In other words, I don't got to come up with ninety-seven things for you know, for every sermon, but just come just come down on that one thing, and that really that cleared the air for me in terms of sermon prep and even how much time I spend doing it. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah.
0: No, that that's well. You you said earlier something about finding your voice as a preacher. I think that's probably been the most sort of. Uh, eye opening and intimidating aspect oh, of yeah. of preaching more because, you know, I've listened to I don't know, I don't know how many thousands of sermons in my life um <clears throat> by by people who are better preachers than I will ever be. Um, particularly, you know, my my first eighteen years sitting under yeah. my dad's preaching and then sitting under Ray Ortland's preaching and I went to Kent Hughes's church and, you know, there's just different styles, different gifts different preparation methods none of them sound like me none of them sound like i i think i sound like um, and so yeah. figuring out what does it look like because it's it's not preaching very effectively if it's imitation i don't think and it's not preaching very effectively if you're just explaining the text although that's not unbeneficial it's just not teaching so what does it look like for like me to preach totally. from like my my soul and that that doesn't i feel like i'm still still figuring that out. You know, what What does that look like? That voice aspect. But I think even what you described yeah. in terms of boiling it down to one thing is part of it because it sounds like that merged well for you from this kind of preparation allows me to preach the most kind of honestly from my heart, you know, in my voice type of way, as opposed to a seven, seven point argument about the text or something.
1: Yeah. And I think, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I'm still fine. You know, I admit there might be, there might be some truth to the fact that you're always, you're going to, the journey of finding your own voice is something that never ends. You just get more comfortable with who Mm -hmm. you are. Um, because we always wish we were another preacher probably for the (laughs) most part, you know, at the end of the day, because, you know, um, Because we look at guys that we would say, man, I would, I wish I was as, I wish I was as gifted as him. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see myself getting to that place. But then again, um, you know, those other guys we're looking at are not preaching the people we're preaching to either. So it's just God has not given them our people. And so I think you just get more comfortable with that voice. And I think you get, I think you get more comfortable with, again, like I said earlier, with the things that you, you know, you look at any preacher and the, the reason why their voice is so distinct is because they tend to lean into particular areas of passion or areas, uh, you know, of context that, that, that is, that is very specific to who they are and where they are. You know, I mean, nobody is the whitest preacher that ever lived, right? Because right we're preaching in a certain place to a certain people. And so it is It is going to be narrowed down a little bit. And then even in that, like, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm a narrow guy. I'm not, a, I don't consider myself a great preacher. I, I I wish I was, and I want to become better. And that's not self deprecation. It's just kind of looking at things for what they really are. And, um, and seeing that I, you know, I can see things in me and in, in how I've been developing my voice. I see things in me based on my personality Based on my interests that I am, I'm never going to lean into very hard. And so if you're somebody, so here's a great example. If you're somebody that comes to substance and man, you love those preachers that will give you a really full kind of picture of history and the culture of the time that, that the letter or the, you know, the content was being written into. Um, man, I just don't lean into those things. It's, it's not a, that's not a big area of interest for me and we have another we have one of my elders on staff when he preaches it is and he unpacks some of that stuff but for me it's just it's not something that is compelling to me in terms of what i want to communicate so somebody coming in and is always looking to find out what life was like in second century you know first century palestine when we're diving into uh, you know ephesians i you're just not going to really get that from me and i'm well, and- okay with i'm okay with that
0: you know. Yeah, and that stuff obviously matters. You know, it, it matters from an understanding like a, a, like a deep biblical literacy, really understanding scripture For perspective. Sure. But <clears throat> I don't think that really is preaching. I, I don't think. I think when you when you like preaching, preaching has to have a prophetic element to it. Sort of a this is what I understand God wants you to hear from this text because something that's that's transformative, you know, and i I don't think there's a lot that's transformative about you know first century greek culture as as useful as it is in understanding scripture sure. in a whole way, but I feel like that sits in a different context that's a sunday school class that's a that's a deep dive study that's an academic study, but like preaching has to you have to look out there and be like this person might never have set foot in church before so what do they need to hear about who Jesus is that's going to be potentially transformative? And that's sort of yeah, like – and, and I think that what you said about boiling it down to one main point is, is a great way to do that.
1: I think that's true. And I, so where I land with some of this stuff is also um, – I agree with everything you just said, but I also – I'm also totally okay with these guys that are a little more bent towards – you know, really kind of unpacking things that that isn't even – in. it's an interest to them, or they're, they really do love that kind of history. And I just – I don't. I don't enjoy that. Um, and so I think that the danger for me um, would be and, – and this might be sort of a sign of the times and the preachers that like you and I kind of grew up with and what we've taken from that is – I'm probably, I'm way too heavy of an application based preacher. I recognize that. Um, I'm constantly trying to guard against that. Like everything, everything coming back to us, you know, to it being about us. And, you know, we become, we do these navel gazy sermons. And a lot of that is because I just tend to bend that way personality wise. You know, I'm, I'm an Enneagram four. So I'm, I'm constantly in a just a, just this epic dramatic state of my world is falling apart. So. There is something in me in the way that I communicate in the way God has wired me. That is, that's going to come out in the sermons. Now I, again, I I have to be careful about that because then my sermons can be in the same way that you just described dudes who just geek out on history. And they're, I mean, dude, are you even preaching the word? Are you just telling us about what life was, was like back then? I mean, again, those two things can, can meld together, but am I just being like imbalanced on the other side of that? And so I just want to be aware of that at the same time, knowing that at the end of the day, I am probably going to bend into being a little more application heavy, uh, in, in my sermons. I, I don't know. I can fight that, I, and I try to make sure it, it's not overboard, but it's probably a little more of the way these things are going to lean.
0: Well, that's the thing. Like, I think I, it, we could probably circle this and bring in 25 different voices, and we would end up with probably 25 versions of a correct sermon, because right. no man no man has cornered the market on effectively communicating the whole counsel of God. So, yeah, well uh, yeah. you know, we just— We do our best with it. I just I'm always fascinated because I know you and I have we we communicate differently. I'm sure we have different preparation methods. You've been at it for longer and you know, so you probably progressed more into terms of what does that that weekly rhythm look like. I'm just kind of always curious. And I think that's why it comes up with pastors too, is because all of us feel that sense of like, well, I haven't nailed it yet. I have never once preached the sermon that's like done. Perfect. Yeah. You know, it never happens. So there's no such thing, really. Right. So you're always asking other pastors, what is How's it going for you? Like, what do you do? Because then you, if you can glean a process or you listen to them and you go, well, <laughs> good luck to you. You do that kind of thing. Totally. Uh, I, another question I have for you as the, as the newbie to the ministry, um, d- thinking back a few years to when, when you got into it, what has been kind of the, what, do you remember what the biggest surprise was moving into pastoral ministry? Or surprises, not the biggest surprise, but like things that you're like, oh, I've heard people talk about this. That's the reality of this thing or did not expect this at all or I mean cuz you moved from the music industry into church ministry so very different in a lot of ways. I moved from publishing into it so again very different. Yeah. What were some of those things that were like that that was unexpected?
1: I think I remember I was with some of the some of the du- some of the older dudes that you know, had that that sort of mentoring role in me, you know, the older lead pastor guys that I was under for years. And, um, I thought, you know, I mistakenly thought that in some ways, I, I don't think I would have articulated it this way. So I'm going to say it really basic, but like that, I was always envious of their job because it seemed easier, not, and not easier is probably the wrong word. It seemed less complicated because I was, you know, I was doing all these different things, you know, as Mm -hmm. you tend to do a lot of times when you're in other roles. And I felt like, oh man, I just, this guy, he just, he has some meetings, he preaches, you know, he's involved in some, maybe some organizations, denominational stuff outside, you know, the, um you know, his local church context. And I, and I was always thinking like, I love how clean that, that is, you know, and I just feel like, you know, my, (laughs) yeah, I know. It's funny to even say that. And then I remember coming into, you know, getting into these roles and it was just the, I had no idea the mental um, just like bombardment and collapse of the congregation and how, Oh, it, it falls. It really does fall squarely on on the lead guy in a lot of ways. And it doesn't mean you don't carry things in other roles, but I think that was the big thing. It's like, why can't I sleep at night? You know, there's nothing even wrong technically, yeah. but there is just that, there is that under,
0: well, we accept that that everything that's going wrong in everybody's
1: life, who you're aware of, who you're aware of. Yeah. And I think, yeah. um, and there's just something about that. And I think you grow into that. I think you get, you know, you, 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 you the Lord grows you through that. You become somebody who learns to trust, you start believing that this church actually isn't yours it's the lord's um you stop being such a people pleaser you know all those things i think over time hopefully you know you get sanctified in but there is just you also get used to the fact that there is just a low grade of anxiety that just runs through your life and <laughs> and you know and it's like that's why some i it's so understandable to me when guys say and I talk to a lot of guys that are like, I am I think I need to move on. And I, I don't ever argue with that um, because the level of stress can be so overwhelming. Um, some people are, I don't know if God has, maybe God hasn't, maybe God only built them to endure it for a season. And for other people that they've, you know, they they were able to endure it for 40 years. Um, but it's just, it's just hard to explain, you know, like I, I can even right now as we're talking. Like, I feel, and I just feel an undercurrent of of anxiety. I'm looking at my day, and I'm looking at my week, and it's pretty, there's not, I mean, for in terms of ministry, you know, I mean, we just came off of a really great members meeting on Sunday night, and it's been a pretty good week, and nobody nobody that I know of is angry. And I mean, yet, I, I just carry this particular kind of anxiety with me, and I don't yeah. know how to describe it. It's just there, and I wish it wasn't there. Yep. And then, you know, when Paul talks about it, you know, I mean, if, if Paul experienced it, I, why would we be any different, you know? Um, but I think that was the biggest thing. Like, okay, so hold on. You've been living with this for 30 years. There's just this weird low-level anxiety. And they, they wouldn't have described it like that. And I wouldn't have seen it. Um, but, man, I'm experiencing it for sure.
0: But, I, I mean, I think you can see it in some of Paul's epistles where he talks about his burden for all of them. You know, you're constantly totally. on my mind. There's this, like, he is carrying the weight of every church where he, that he planted, that he eldered. And, you know, I mean, he was, to put it in modern parlance, like he was overseeing a church network and knew, knew every pastor and every elder personally kind of thing. Yeah. I think, I think that's been what you just described. Some has been a lot of the surprise for me, just the. Well, yeah, I um, want to ask
1: you like, what has it been for you? I'd love to hear.
0: So I'd say the first three to six months in ministry so not, not pastoral ministry, but just moving into a church staff, the hardest thing was learning how to measure productivity and success. Because I had been in an essentially sales and marketing job to some degree or another for about 15 years. Yeah. And so everything was measured in units and dollars. So success is profit. Okay. That's, I mean, that's how business works. And, and you can bank success. So mm. we have great success with this product that that helps make up for lack of success elsewhere church doesn't work like that you had a great members meeting your next one could go off the rails like <laughs> don't you don't get to bank success um you know if you have a, a peak attendance on easter your next your next sunday is going to be your third lowest of the year or whatever like mm-hmm. there's no there's no there's no measurable banking of success so that was a really weird one for me just realizing that you know su- success and productivity are more than just faithfulness because you can be yeah. faithfully mediocre um but but they are measured mostly in are you are you competently doing the work that's been given to you to do and the results aren't really up to you because yeah. the results are so much in in other people's souls which leads me to the second surprising thing that I've kind of grown into that as you know as I've moved from overseeing you know small groups ministry to being an assistant pastor, that that now still falls to me, but there's other things as well. And it's just the, you know, at any given time, I could list 10 people in the church who are going through something disastrous yeah, in their life. It sure. could just be in their own soul, you know, kind of a, a depression or mental health thing. It could yeah. be in their marriage. It could be in their jobs. It could be in the health of their kids. And you just know all this stuff. And and you're responsible for those people to To care for them, not to solve their problems. And I think that's where the burnout thing comes a lot of times is, mm. and I, cause I regularly have to pull back. Like it's not my job to fix somebody else's. So I know. I it's know. my job to care for them. What does that look like? It looks like prayer. It looks like regular contact. It looks like occasional correction. And there's a lot of things it looks like, but, but not, not like if, if that person insists on rebelling against the Lord, that's not on me. You know, mm, I, yeah. I, it, it stings but it's not my fault, you know, same if, if there's a financial disaster, a mayor marriage falls apart or whatever. So I think that's been a big one is like, yeah, I, I just, how do you turn off? How do you turn that off to, to be able to rest? You know, that's, that's been a, a unique one. Like my brain just doesn't quit until okay. I, you know, I have to kind of, usually, usually it's, usually it's my wife, Lauren, who's like, you know, you're not going to fix that tonight, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or tomorrow or the next day or the next day. So yeah, just, Give give it a break, move on. Yeah, from the book, whatever it is. That, I just that's don't think it's, I don't think yeah because it's
1: not really the doing. It's just what exists in, yeah. in your mind in your heart. So it's not. It's not even a sense like man, I can, I stop working, you know, at night, you know, I mean, I'm, I know how to like shut it down and, you know, enjoy time, you know, enjoy that time with my wife and hey, you know, we're eating dinner or we're, you know, we're, you know, whatever we're doing. Right. It's like, yeah. So those kinds of things, like I can do that, but it, if it's, how do you shut down internally? And I think that's where we all struggle is how do you do that internal shutdown and how do you actually believe, um, and trust that the lord is at work even though you may not be able to see what he's doing and then actually believe that you are absolutely powerless to fix anything um other than to listen to be available to pray to do those things that again i think paul talked about as being like these just these incredibly weak countercultural things that we've been called to do in in this role and we're just not i mean especially um you know as as, you know, industrious Americans, I mean, it's, you
0: almost can't find a worse spot for us in that, yeah. you know. that That's interesting, that's because it sparks another question for me, kind of talking about that, the idea of called to do weak things. I think that's, you know, pastors are leaders. And for, for a lot of time, because American culture was kind of Christian oriented, pastors were highly respected people. You know, and I think in some sub subcultures, maybe in the Bible Belt, certain parts they still are. But like when I took this job, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to be embarrassed to tell people what I do." You know, like the idea—it's yeah. not cool to be a pastor in Nashville, right? Um, yeah. And Nashville's Bible Belt, but like, there's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a pretty godless city, just like most major metropolises are. Yeah. And so, that—that that, how have you navigated that aspect of like, you know, you look at. Well, now we're not talking about Mark Driscoll, but sort of the the kind of superstardom of of pursuit of many pastors. And then the like, but it's actually not cool. And people are skeptical of you. And like one of the quickest ways to get out of a conversation with a stranger is telling you're a pastor, and they're like, Oh, well, gotta go. Um yeah, or sure. they apologize for swearing. That's the that's the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything. Um and how how have you how have you navigated the like the fact that this is a job that it's jobs the wrong term it's i mean it, it really is a, a calling a, a vocation that's uh it's not cool that the moment you try to make it cool you're probably doing it really badly and so it kind of flies in the face of just about every other mm. measurement of of pursuit that totally you know in terms of success and 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 comfort and fame and all those things
1: yeah, I mean, I think that's, man, that's one of the, uh, that's a really key question I think you're asking. And I, I think it's, um, uh, you know, I, you know, we just, we live in a, we live in a, in a culture where like we spend a lot of time doing things for people to admire us and enjoy us and like us and want to, you know, listen to what we say, want to listen to what we, you know, read what we write. And you know, l- you know, download what we record and, and all of those things. And so, I think on that level, um, there's a there's a there's a sense of like safety and security because we're we, we are able to create that that distance between the people that engage with us on that level. And then you know, because me and you at least are doing some of those things. And then there is um then there's that local level where you're like nobody cares about those other things, you know, when you're sitting down with somebody at a coffee shop at seven in the morning, like I was doing this morning, and we're talking about all kinds of stuff, important things, you know, related to this individual's life. And, um, I mean, dude, I I mean, it doesn't matter. Like all those other things don't like they, those things don't come up. Um, and I think it's just, I think it goes back to what we said a minute ago is, um, I you know if my life's pursuit is for the sake of people loving me liking me respecting me admiring me then it's just I'm going to um I'm going to I'm just going to end up in a really discontented and really um really bad place I think and I think that's one of the hardest things about a about ministry in general is that you're aware of what your potential reputation is, you know, whether it's to your church or to your community. And that just does something to somebody, right? Um, knowing that, man, people can sort of create opinions about you that that might not be rooted in any kind of like reality, but just because of the position. And you know, you're constantly sort of battling against that. So you might try a, a real hard to to, to, to not kind of like cast that particular shadow, you know, on your reputation, because man, I want you to know, I'm just a regular dude like you. Um, I probably had most of the same thoughts that you did. I probably, some of the same words that came out of your mouth came out of my mouth. Um, a lot of the same fears, you know, I went to bed with last night. Like I want you to know that I'm, I'm that I'm battling, I'm struggling. Um, I, I do have this person named Jesus that helps me and I'm able to have an ultimate hope in, as I, as I process and progress through these things. But I, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that they're, they're, they're not, they're not going to bring you, I would say down to their level, you know? And I think, I think for me that I, that is really, really hard for me. I really struggle with that. And I think it creates a lot of the, uh, the anxiety that we talked about a minute ago, you know?
0: Yeah. And what's interesting is that that's a bit of a two-edged sword though, because the flip side of that is, so like at Emmanuel, I think we we have a we have one of the healthiest church cultures. And I say that as somebody who came in out of some uh, some other unhealthy church cultures and so was was really drawn to it and now have been able to 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 join the yeah. leadership of it. It's and so the the pastors are not deified. They're respected right. but not deified. So as as a general rule and because one of our cultural kind of core aspects is honesty. You know just a complete we don't want to hide anything. We don't want to be posturing as anything. We're not, we're not trying to be impressive. Okay. But then there's pastoral authority, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously we're aware of so many people who have misused pastoral authority, used it to manipulate people, used it to abuse people, used it to, to, to take advantage of people. But there, there is a time when you need to look somebody in the face and, and basically speak with the authority of the role. And that might be somebody who you've confessed sin to, you know, 15 minutes prior or something. You know, it's one of those like it's a weird 100%. thing where you you say, you know, I'm I am just like you. Also, you need to do exactly what I say right now. <laughs> like in, I'm in, calling in, you calling you out of something as well that I yeah, might even this, be struggling with. And again, the the authority of a pastor doesn't reside with the pastor, it resides with the, the calling to to represent Christ. It's not a you know, I'm not I'm not inherently authoritative and neither are you, but but that's it that is a weird thing because and it, it even changes friendships. We you know, in the last few minutes, that's the other thing I would love to talk to you about because yeah. um you you've you came into pastor by a different route than I did. The effects on friendships, because again, you you take on this role of pastor and it does sort of put a a potential relational distance between you and other people because Because you're not just one of the guys anymore. You're not 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 for most people. And so, a, how did it change friendships you already had, and b, how has it affected the formation of friendships, the making of friends?
1: Yeah, that's a super complicated, I think, dilemma for pastors. And I think what we have seen um, is that most at some most it seems like at least at some point they just they back away. And they're like, this doesn't work. I've tried to make friends. Everybody acts weird around me or they don't feel comfortable around me. And so I don't, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to back into a corner and and it's not worth it. You know, the pain's not worth it or the effort isn't worth it. I think the way that I've been able to make peace with this, and I think it's ongoing, is I just, I, there's different levels of, I have different levels of friendship and I have to be okay at where those levels are at, you know? So I have people outside of, you know, our local ministry circle that, again, that's a particular level of friendship that I have with these people that on one hand might be able to be uh, slightly more uh, honest, um, but at the same time, I'm not gonna have as much time with them because maybe they live far away or they live an hour away. And then I think that there's different levels of friendship within the local context. And some people you just connect with who don't who who are able to kind of like sit down with you, ask you questions, listen to you. God uses them in your life, and then there are other friends that just exist on, you know, probably more of a of a level of just, um, you know, it's where where you know your pastoralness is is kind of always is kind of always like like you know in the air, and it doesn't mean that you can't have friends in each of those contexts. It just means that you have to accept that God's going to give you a deeper connection with some people, not as deep of a connection with other people, because it can't be one hundred percent with everybody. But I think, and this is how I'm going to finish my point, is like it's worth it to try. It's worth it to try to attain. I think that that those different levels to the best of your ability. I think it's just worth it. The risk is worth it, is what I would
0: yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. It's that's that's really that's really good. I my experience has been a little different because i was a member of the church for a couple oh, yeah. of years before joining staff and then i was on staff for um a year plus before being or, you know ordained and so totally different there, yeah. you know i i developed friendships kind of coming in at the lowest point you know in terms of i don't mean lowest in hierarchy i mean like kind of relational and spiritual low in life and so developed these really great friends who were guys who were you know we just sort of I could tell them about the hard stuff in my life they became real encouragements and and they you know those friendships have maintained mm-hmm. and it, it's the it was those outer tiers that I think there's been some changes in where it was like guys who I was kind of more call them more like buddies than friends and they've sort of fallen away not in a not in an abandonment way but just sort of a, this dynamic changed a lot you know because right. I transitioned from sort of there's also, a, there's an aspect of kind of spiritual advancement too, you know, where if you're spiritually maturing, if God is doing a work in your life at a different pace than he is in somebody else's life, yeah, the friendship will change because you're pursuing something different or he's calling you to something different. And that's, I mean, I think that's true for anybody who gets called to ministry out of an, another context. Like you just, you just jumped in terms of spiritual, you know, advancement, investment, et cetera. And I, again, I don't want to make that sound like you're better, but just God has moved you in a different direction. So I bet that changed some friendships, too, where other guys are like, you're the same place you were three years ago. That's not where I am. And so it that dynamic has shifted pretty pretty dramatically. But um, it's it's always an interesting one because I do hear longtime pastors talk about the struggles of friendship. You know, I've witnessed it, guys who've been in ministry for 30, 40, 50 years, and their closest friends are usually not at their church. You know, they're... Yeah pastors yeah. elsewhere or childhood friends or college friends. So we're like the pastor dynamic ceases to be an issue cuz it it's not their pastor. And that I get it, but it seems unhealthy to me. You know, I'm like you you should yeah. be able to have close relationships with the people in your church. I think you just have to try. And I think what happens
1: is is a lot of a lot of guys they, they step into those spaces and they have really bad experiences. So it, it creates pain there. And then they become shy about, you know, obviously wanting to step into things of which they're, are going to collapse and they're going to experience pain. I think it's worth it to, to continue to try though. And I think wherever you find those, wherever you find those levels of friendship, um, I think if we're just trying to, man, if we're, if we're just trying to be faithful, we're, we're, we're trying to connect with people in you know inside the circle outside the circle god's going to provide us with with people that are going to that are going to you know help you know give us some life and meet some of our needs and I, I but i i do think that we need to try and i think that's the dangerous part that you're talking about right there i understand guys that get have really bad experiences i've had bad experiences you have too mm-hmm. but we we still try i think the other thing too that that struck me as you were talking is A friendship is a – it really is, for us at least, because of the amount of people work that we do. Um, Man, we we are definitely – and I think people sense this with me. They probably sense it with you. Um, We have to be really careful because – there, there, there does come a time when it's like, man, I, I need a sp- I need some space from people. So, in other words, like if a friend, if a friendship means us hanging out, and I, I just don't have that today. Um, I, I need to, I need to back away because I need to collect my sanity. And I think people need to – people have to have an understanding of that. And so that either goes two ways, right? You get the people that are overly sensitive to that and they're like, no, 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 no. I don't want to bother you. I don't want to bother you. It's like, well, all right, that's that's extreme, right? Because you're not always bothering me. Um, uh, depending on who you are. Um, and then there's the other thing, which is like, I'm just, dude, I'm, I'm out every night of the week. We're connecting with, you know, all these people and I'm just running myself into the ground. Right. So I think it's just, it's having that, it's really hard to find that balance, but you have to find that balance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody has those friends that like, you've got friends who, when you get together, it's like, it's totally at ease. Then you have some friends who you do all the work, you know, it's, it's a genuine, totally, but like they're needy. You're the one who's initiating. Those are the friendships that are the, I think the ones that are most difficult to maintain in the pastor, because you're doing that for a whole church to some degree. Like you are yeah, initiating, yeah, yeah. caring for seeking to fill needs. And when that, when that shifts into a friend dynamic, it's like I'm, I'm spent. So those friends that you totally, can totally at ease with, you're like, we're going to, we're going to protect this one. And those other yeah. friendships are, are, are tough where you're like, no, I don't, I don't have a lot else to give.
1: Yeah, good point. Good word.
0: All right, listeners, I'm sure Ronnie and I could go on further about this. But um, for the sake of time, we're going to wrap this up. But I want to tell you about our second sponsor before we close the show, and that is Dwell Bible App. You have heard about Dwell on the show before, probably. If you go to dwellapp.io slash happy you can check it out. So, Dwell is an audio Bible app. They have abundant features to make your listening uh, and engagement with Scripture fantastic, multiple narrators uh listening plans to help you get through the bible in a certain time frame or to kind of listen and reflect they've recently added a read along feature so you can actually listen and then read along so if it's if if you do really well with sort of a visual and audio co- combination you can do that um Again, go to dwellapp.io slash happy rant. They have discounts for our listeners. It's 33% off of their lifetime discount. So it's about a $50 savings, pretty pretty significant. And then a 10% discount off of their annual subscription. Both of those are pretty affordable. They're not, uh, they're not excessively expensive. Would encourage you to try it. It's a great way to get scripture into the parts of your life where it's hard to sit down, focus, study. So if you're a busy parent, if you'd spend a lot of time commuting, uh, if you're somebody who's at the gym or exercises a lot, it's a great way to bring Scripture into those contexts as well. Um, so, again, dwellapp.io slash Check them out. Uh, Ronnie, any closing thoughts before we sign off?
1: Oh, man, I feel like we've
0: talked so much. It's insane. It's verging on insanity. All right. Well, that's what pastors do. We talk a lot until—, <laughs> until And verge on insanity. Until yes. borderline insanity. That's right. All right, listeners, thanks for joining us. Uh, Hopefully, Ted will be back and doing a better job running the show next week. And until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with.